Welcome to Art of the Score, the podcast that explores, demystifies and celebrates some of the greatest soundtracks of all time from the world of film, TV and video games. I'm Andrew Poxon and in each episode we'll be joined by Daniel Golding and Nicholas Buck as we check out a soundtrack we love, break down its main themes, explore what makes the score tick and hopefully impart our love of the world of soundtracks. In episode 35, we return to the world of movie studio themes, having cruised our way through the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s and 70s, all in part one. And now we prepare our bodies for the conclusion to our studio theme Odyssey in part two. With the 1980s through the present day still to come, there is plenty of studio theme juice to come. Don't you worry about that. And I would actually argue the best is yet to come. And joining me from his Big Five executive studio as heir to the famous Buck Music Dynasty is composer, arranger, orchestrator, conductor and sixth generation studio theme director. It's Nicholas Buck. How you doing, Nick? Good. Guys, we are about to hit the prime time in my opinion, of studio themes, the 80s, where <laughs> it all really exploded and they were jumping over each other to get the best studio themes from here and beyond. And really, it's it's when three of your favourite podcast hosts uh, really <laughs> came into prominence, wasn't it, the 80s? That was... Uh, yes, we all yeah. came springing into this world. <laughs> <laughs> And speaking of springing into this world, uh, leading the charge into film music history for Art of the Score, he's a critic, a university lecturer, writer, ABC radio host, and human fanfare himself. I don't even know what that means, Nick. <laughs> what does it mean? I don't know what well, it means. Let's find out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's Dan Golding. It's good to be here. No. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. See, I told you. I knew, I knew I wrote that for some reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I could not agree more uh, with Nick's summary, his prelude. In fact, the same uh, degree that I was going to make the same joke that I think we're all born in the 80s. So obviously it's the best decade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I was actually suspicious, Nick. I mean, I look at Babyface Goldie over here and it's like, is it the 90s? Is it the 2000s? Uh, Who can say? Mm, He's quite the chameleon. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Now, I think we, uh, we already warmed up with part one. Mm. Hopefully, uh, the listeners have that fresh in their mind, that odyssey fresh in their minds. <laughs> um, so, Dan, I actually think that we're going to kick off the 1980s with a mm. continuation of, of this exploration here. But, of course, I would be remiss not to, to look at the very first new studio logo theme that happened on the 2nd of January, 1980. <laughs> um, just to guarantee that it is the first. Um, and that, of course, is the new Art of the School Studios theme. And here it is. Gee, the sounds changed, hasn't it, Nick? In uh, in the eighties, you know, you know who this was. This was your um, your, I, I guess, Aunt Nancy Buck. Nancy, look, she had a great keyboard. It was like a DX three. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a number that that's correct. Yeah, mm. uh, yeah. Bought. Um, look, I won't tell you how she acquired it. It's a it's a long story. But um, yeah, she she used to tinker around with sort of sounds, Casio keyboards, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And um, yeah, good old Uncle Nance, uh, Auntie Nance. <laughs> <laughs> 
a bit of uh, 808 perfect. cowbell in there at the end, I think, yeah, as yeah. well. It's just, just perfectly yeah, That's tasteful. from our farm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the old buck cattle. farm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's, um, it's still producing today. You can get um, buck beef is, is well known. Um, and, and buck beans for all of you um, uh, vegos out there. Yeah, look, they give you gas, so <laughs> stay away from them. I think buck, buck beef is in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, isn't it? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar. Yeah, yeah. We, we're not going mm. to eat buck beef. Yeah. But, uh, buck beef <laughs> is very tasty. Oh, Lord. Okay, Daniel. Yeah. Um, let's, let's get this horse and pony show on the road. What can you, where, where are we going in the 1980s? Well, remembering that in the 70s we left a studio system really in transition. They'd been some, through some troubles and issues. And in the 70s they really kind of with the help of uh, Messrs Spielberg and Lucas found their feet again and started making huge blockbusters, huge piles of cash um, but really that was towards the end of the 70s so the 80s is when the show gets on the road again really uh, and where the studios as we know them today I think really start to you know find their power and as well we've we got to remember that they find their power with these kind of films like Star Wars and Indiana Jones that are self-consciously throwbacks to an older era of Hollywood filmmaking and so I think my hunch is that as we go into the 80s, we'll find some similar sorts of vibes of capturing that old movie magic with the studio titles. And probably no better place to start than with a company that's very closely associated with at least one of those directors, and that's Amblin Entertainment, Nick. So that was written by none other than the master, John Williams. And to me, you can really feel that kind of element of flight and wonder and magic kind of sprinkled all over it. And all of a sudden, it's such a, it's a light and bright, fluffy kind of sound. It's very sparkly. As far as like a sonic branding thing goes, it works wonders for Amblin because Amblin really was known for making these kinds of films that really capture your, your imagination, your heart. And I think that really is summed up in that sort of 15-second bit of music right there. Mm. And I don't know if you guys have sort of noticed the melody in that little tune. You know, we were talking earlier in last episode about pieces like Somewhere Over the Rainbow or When You Wish Upon a Star having this octave leap at the beginning. If you listen to the melody of this piece, Williams is kind of He's taken it and done one better. He's used the same progression as When You Wish Upon a Star, but rather than do an octave, he's done a step in an octave. It's like, I'm going to go one better. So even in that little melodic or harmonic progression, there's a lot of that Disney kind of wonder in mm. there. Um, so as well as looking forward to the magic and sparkle to come, it is totally looking back to the past to capture that old timey feel-good feels that we have when we go to the movies. And, you know, even harmonically, like the, the, the minor chords that are in there are really only there almost like as, as, as passing through to the next little bit of happiness. <laughs> yeah, it's like happy... Bit of nostalgia and then back to happy. Bit of nostalgia. 
<laughs> I mean, as a progression, it almost just goes up. I guess that's juxtaposed by the uh, the melody also ultimately sort of coming down. You have that nice counterpoint yeah. of rising harmony and melody that's falling. You've got nostalgia. You've got the anticipation. Um, that's why he's the master, Nick. <laughs> yeah. John yeah, the melody does fall down after it lifts up. Mm. So little little step, steps down. Mm. Mm. It's, it's, no, it's a beautiful little entertainment logo. And uh, look, I... I don't know when it disappeared, but it, I don't feel like it stuck around for that long. I mean, are Amblin's still around today? Yeah, are they still. Yeah, yeah, they are. Uh, well, I think so. Um, not doing anywhere near as much, um, but uh, I think what happened was there was actually a slightly different version of the fanfare that emphasised ET as well as the eighties went on, because um, yep. certainly the Amblin logo um, is drawn from the moment in ET with the the bike riding against the the moon. Um, so, you know, very strong links there. And I, so I think it kind of shifted and developed as it, as it went on. But yeah, I mean, so this is the first fanfare by John Williams for a studio, I think. That I'm aware of, yeah. And but it's certainly not the last. Certainly um, not because the Because the same year, in 1981, he wrote one for The Lad Company. Mm. Very different fanfare, very different. And interesting bit of information, this appeared before Blade Runner, at the very start of Blade Runner. So I'll play it to you now. It's uh, yeah, a very different feel. And it's sort of like it's it's very like mature, yeah. You know, it's stately, it's reverent. There's a lot of space, which um, a lot of logos don't have. They're sort of trying to wow you. Uh, I mean, it's not an attention grabber in the same sense as like the 20th Century Fox fanfare. Mm. So, I mean, maybe a film like Blade Runner, which is very sort of moody and introspective in many ways, it works perfectly for that. Well, the the Ladd Company is interesting. I mean, they're they're most famous for Blade Runner. It was started by Alan Ladd or uh, Laddie, as they literally used to call him. But he also came from 20th Century Fox. In fact, he was the producer who really, I think, helped save Star Wars from being cancelled while it was in production and going well over budget. But I mean, yeah, it's a, it's a really lovely little. I mean, I guess we would call it a fanfare because um, the function that it serves, but it, it, yeah, it's sort of like a, a stately declaration, isn't it? I mean, it's also almost that that John Williams other gear that we don't always hear, especially as as movie music fans, is John Williams, I guess, classical compositions that he was writing mm. through this period and certainly into the nineties and two thousands. Um, it's a little more orchestral 20th century writing. It's not sort of in the avant-garde style or or anything weird there, but there is a lot more of that sort of more modern... Um, yeah, there's dissonance in, mm. the, in the brass chords. Mm. Uh, they're not just sort of stock major chords. They've always got like a second or a, or a clashy raised fourth or something in there. Mm. But it, it is somewhat reminiscent of his style, uh, I would say, around the turn of the millennium with the uh, Star Wars prequels and Angela's Ashes and AI, films like that. Yeah, and really specifically, I mean, Saving Private Ryan. Mm. Uh, I mean, look, this opening lad company starts with, you know, a G major sort of horn call. 
you know, and then has a sort of some angular triads after it. If I play the very first cue in Saving Private Ryan, which I've sort of condensed a bit here, it's very similar. And look, from that, talking about something that has lots of space in it, I want to turn to look at United Artists, who I know you mentioned them in the last episode, Dan, about being one of the first studios owned by Charlie Chaplin. Yeah. But in 1982, we get a composer called Joe Hanel, who did a lot of TV work in the 80s and 70s on The Incredible Hulk, things like that. And his opening fanfare for United Artists is both sparse as they come and hugely bombastic and to me this will always be the sound that i'd hear before the james bond films growing up as a kid you know which is all the late kind of roger moore films the early timothy dalton ones check it out Quite a tonal shift, isn't it? <laughs> it's a fanfare in two parts. And it works really well with the graphics. I think it, mm. it almost starts on black and the, the, the letters U and A kind of like rotate sidewards and then sort of reveal themselves. Mm. And so it's, uh, and then as they kind of come into focus, yeah, you get that big sting. I mean, it reminds me of, um, what's that piece by Strauss? Also, yeah, mm. that's the one, yeah, mm. from 2001. Mm. But the little melody he's got all right, on top of it, he basically just does the exact same melody up a tone with like huge chords. <laughs> you know, and that's sort of it. Simple but inspired. The, the way that it's stated on the piano, firstly, if you put a wash of synths behind that, I would buy that as Vangelis, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Well, look, I mean, it's a year after Blade Runner, so maybe that was a huge inspiration, mm. you know? And I think we'll see a lot of synthesizers going forward. For sure, yeah. I, I should also say that this is a really interesting point for a United Artists um, fanfare to emerge after, you know, so much time is because actually they were sold to MGM the year before. So oh. this is also what's happening in the 80s is that um, this process of, of, of conglomeratization continues apace from the 70s. I mentioned that Warner's now owned by a car park company. Um, <laughs> that sort of. For all the studio executives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that really, you know, continues in, into the 80s. You know, Murdoch buys Fox, all this kind of um, purchasing. Like, I think, um, yeah, Paramount is bought by Viacom at, at a certain point during this. Like, Universal becomes NBC Universal. So, yeah, United Artists is, um, well, I mean, they, they never really put a claim to independent in their title, but it was sort of assumed um, is perhaps a slightly different company to what it was in the 1920s and 30s. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah re-articulating itself with that. I, I mean, I think yeah. that's a really cool little fanfare. 
And look, you know, talking about since the following year, we get something even more extreme following on that sort of sparse opening building to something huge and bombastic. In we get the very, very famous THX deep note sting, I guess you'd call it. And just so everyone knows what we're talking about, make sure you don't blow your speakers when you're listening to this. <laughs> if you think the beginning is quiet, just hold on. Such a cool sound. I I, I remember. Do you, do, do you remember sound cards and stuff like that? When you you know get your first computer in the nineteen nineties, and <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. finally get a sound card that can do more than MIDI. I <laughs> yeah, I remember yeah. doing that, and like this was the sound that like you'd somehow find the world's worst MP three copy of it, or maybe WAV back then. I don't know. MP three maybe didn't exist, and just absolutely on Napster. Yeah, just <laughs> yeah. I've never pirated anything, Nick. How dare you? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but just oh no, I just learned about it from the Social Network film. Oh okay, okay. <laughs> um, yeah, and just absolutely destroying speakers with this sound, yeah. uh, the tiniest little things. Yeah, it's it's such a cool sound, and it really is. Uh, you know, it's mathematical in its construction. Um, James, Andy, Mora. I mean, there's there's quite a bit of info you can find about the making of it, but it really is kind of, I think, the result of a sort of sound design programmer mind, I suppose. But I, I actually wanna, I want to... I've, I've got something that I think will be a surprise to both of you, Nick and Andrew. I'm going to play you a piece of music from 1953. Now, I am surprised, Dan, because we're in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and if you wanted to talk about yeah. the 50s, it's already done. <laughs> well, this is a classical bit of music. It's for the concert hall. Yes. It's by a composer called Iannis Xenakis. He's Greek. That's um, X-E-N-A-K-I-S. The piece is called Metastasis. And I well, see, see what you make of this. Etc. <laughs> Look, it's a good um, family night out at the um, at the concert hall. Yeah. Um, yeah, it sounds like the THX logo with a leaky faucet. In the yeah, system. yeah, 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 yeah. Just that, that. I think it's a wood block. I guess. That, yeah, that's yeah. It sounds like a wood block or clapstick or something. Wow. Yeah, you really see the origins. I mean, it's basically it's a slow morph of yeah 
yeah, string dissonance that kind of goes up and down at the same time. And and the amazing thing about this, I don't know whether Mora knew of this piece, but the amazing thing is is that there's a very very similar intellectual approach to writing the music. So Janakis was a avant-garde classical composer, obviously, but he was a designer. He was an architect. He spent a lot of his working life working with a famous French architect called Le Corbusier. He had no first name. That was his kind of um, architect stage name, I guess. Um, designed a very famous building called the Unit de Habitation in Marseille, I think it is. So he he was working, you know, in this kind of, you know, then quite postmodern architecture. And if you look at the score or Zanakis' sketch for the score, it's mathematical. It's like he's designed it not with musical notation. He's designed it with everybody starting on a G, I think it is, and then all splitting off in different directions that he's calculated on a sort of graphic notation. I mean, it's very, very similar, I think, in spirit to the THX sound. Look, yeah, it's definitely a fascinating thing. And you hear the shades of that VistaVision logo Mm. where we had a sort of a string line going down, a string line going up to really convey that sense of vertical width that you're going to experience at the movies. You know, the screen here is bigger than your home TV. The sound is bigger. Mm. It really, just by going outwards from a middle point, you're basically conveying the scope of what you're about to witness. And it's very effective from that standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and let's not forget that, of course, this is, I think, the first logo, I suppose, in a way that we've had that's for a sound process. Yeah, I was going to ask that, Dan. Is this is this the start of, you know, the, the surround sound as the, as the new gimmick in the next iteration of what you can't get at home? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, there were, there were sound gimmicks back in the 50s, going back to that conversation from the previous episode. But George Lucas is, is kind of partially responsible for this. THX was a or is a Lucas company in its founding, you know, along with Skywalker Sound. And, you know, Lucas was interested in the possibilities of surround sound. And, and yeah, absolutely. So around this point is where we get that playing out. And THX is is really, really one of the, the blockbuster pioneers in that. So no surprise that this amazing sound exists to demo the possibilities of speakers. And not just my little uh, PC ones from 1993. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sound Blaster will be very, um, very proud to get the, your, your little plug. Yes. Sound <laughs> That's the one. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Following from 1983, we then get a logo everyone will know for TriStar Pictures. This is the one with that beautiful white horse that kind of trots in from the side of the screen and beautifully comes to the front and runs past it. Is it a horse or is it? Why do I feel like it's a Pegasus or it's a unicorn or something? Is it? What? Is it, what is I it? think. Well, unicorns aren't real, Andrew. Okay. So okay, okay, okay. Well, how did they film it then, Nick? Tell me that. <laughs> Yep, got him. We got yeah. him. Terry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grandpa Terry was here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Uncle Terry. It is a Pegasus. Yeah. I want to bring up that's the um the composer Dave Grusen, who had a huge jazz career and a great film career. Worked with God, all kinds of fabulous directors, Norman Jewison, Mark Rydell, Sidney Pollack, Warren Beatty. But look, this fanfare is not jazzy at all, and maybe he's a precursor in its sort of brass writing you know to what he'd do the following year which is the score to the goonies mm-hmm. um it's nowhere near as swashbuckling but there's a bit of a um a heroic aspect to it
scornful rebel alliance at the start there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, so like that's a lovely little fanfare. And I'm sure everyone would be like, oh, yeah, mm. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's very well heard. Going on, we get a slightly more synthetic logo for touchstone pictures, which, again, is just like a sort of an open fifth chord on D with all this sort of tinkling at the top, but just the swell is what sort of makes it get the good vibes happening. And again, we're back to that real synth sound. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that God, that, that could be in Blade Runner. Almost. <laughs> Don't you think that there's an awful lot of themes that on some instrument and it's either a sort of in the background or it's in this case it's in the in the four is musical sparkle like all of these logos are sparkling mm. you know and there's all the yeah. you know like the sparkle of it and it happens so often scoring the sound effects i guess or scoring the direct yeah. vision you know well score mm. yeah scoring the logo like if the logo is animated with like a, a a glint of gold flying across it or a reveal it's often just a yeah a sonic signpost of that and i think you know logos like the touchstone pictures one we just heard i think a really big precursor to what we get in sort of tv advertising for brands going forth like a lot of technology ads you know you think of the pentium logo you know, they're just little little stings with a few notes. Whatever the brand is, it's just a little sonic bling. You know, and back in the fifties, they would have had an entire jingle with dancing people and stuff. And we still get them. You know, in Australia, I'm sure there's heaps of jingles from our Bunnings ad here <laughs> to our supermarket chains. All have various jingles. Shout out to Bunnings. <laughs> Shout out to Bunnings. Yeah. <laughs> New sponsor of Art of the Score. Yeah. <laughs> Sausage <Yep>. sponsor. <laughs> Now, look, there are many studios which I'm sure we'll be playing and talking about that are still here today, and there are some that aren't. And the next such studio is one of these that suffered a poor demise, and this is Carolco, or Carolco, however you say it. Big in the 80s and 90s, and really, Cutthroat Island is the film that apparently bankrupted this entire studio and sent them under. But they had a great muscular fanfare written for them in 1985 by Jerry Goldsmith. And this appeared before like Rambo, First Blood Part 2. And, and you really start to hear that sort of 80s Goldsmith rip-roaring action kind of vibe, especially towards the end. And that's such a that's such a goldsmith progression. <laughs> you know, I, I just hear Rambo and even a precursor to that synth stuff at the start. You know, you hear lots in Total Recall in 1990, a few years later. And goldsmith was, of all film composers, probably the most experimental with synthesizers in a purely orchestral kind of idiom, which which was big in the 80s and 90s. I mean, you know, orchestral scores were just everywhere after the success of Star Wars. But Goldsmith really was one of those guys who always had a little bit of synth undercurrent in, in so many of, of his scores. Mm. I guess what's also different about this era is that these are films that are kind of, you know, close to independently produced. They're certainly quite cheaply produced. 
but they look like blockbusters, you know, like Terminator 2, Rambo, Total Recall, Stargate. These are things that I think, especially in our kind of memories, if we don't think about it too much, it's just kind of like, yeah, that's totally indistinguishable to the biggest, most expensive movies of the time, right? Are you saying that Terminator 2 was a cheap movie? Uh, look, Terminator 2 is probably not my best example there. Um, it was. It I was. Picked it up right away. I yeah, you yeah, meant Terminator yeah. One. Yeah, Terminator, Terminator One. I'll believe yeah. all day long. Yeah, and Ram- Rambo, and especially First Blood. Well, fir- First Blood was directed by Ted Kocheff, who um, I haven't met very many people, but I have met Ted Kocheff. He was a, <laughs> <laughs> he was a Canadian uh, Canadian director. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's such a weird segue, but yeah, Ted Kocheff came in came and did a master class at the uni that I work for, Swinburne, um, which was pretty cool because he, apart from First Blood, which is a great film, he also directed one of I, I mean probably a film that has incredibly um well got a very credible claim to being the greatest australian film ever made which is wake and fright did he direct that yep wow yep i'd like to meet ted yeah (laughs) he was an interesting guy he had a lot of interesting stories let me tell you anyway this is moving uh, moving on moving Moving on on. um what was that guys more john williams okay (laughs) see if you recognize this Now, in Australia, we, of course, know that as the news theme for Channel 7. Channel 7 News. Um, But it was written in 85 for which news station, gentlemen? Do you know which one it was in the States? Was it NBC? It is NBC. Um, That piece is called, actually, The Mission. And look, you know, this starts a whole string of John Williams uh, commissions where he got asked to write music for occasions and things other than films. You know, and this TV spot is exactly one of them. All these Olympic music, you know, started flowing in the 80s as well. I'm going to hijack this just for a moment to talk about the fact that so many of the film, uh, sorry, the TV nightly news have their origins in film music. The other great one here in Australia, that, that was Channel 7 that we just heard, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. So Channel Nine is from a film called Cool Hand Luke, and I think I've got the the section just right here. Lalo Schifrin. Which is tonight on Channel Nine News, yeah. local man. <laughs> wow, I did not know that, Dan. Thank you so much. I'm sure all our international listeners are going, "What, what? the hell is that?" But everyone in Australia will be like, "Oh my god!" It's I, I, th- I think it has been used for more than just Channel Nine News. I think it's been used internationally as well. But yeah, if you sit down okay. and watch Cool Hand Luke, the funniest thing is, is that that melody is pretty much only used in that one sequence, and that's a real sequence where suddenly the music takes over. So you're watching this movie about I, I, I don't know if you've seen Cool Hand Luke, but it's kind of about life in prison. Um, as a kind of new Hollywood, um, you know, rebel, you know, I ain't going to follow your laws kind of kind of movie. And, and they're, they're tarring a road. They're, you know, 
and and they're suddenly like, yeah, let's get this done, and they just sort of rebel against the evil prison warden by doing a really good job. And in that montage, then this music plays, and it's just like, wait, what? <laughs> what just happened? Like for the contemporary, at least Australian viewer, it's like, sorry, what did we just hit the yep. remote and the wrong channel? <laughs> Six o'clock news is coming on. Yeah, it's yeah. Oh, very strange. And anyway. look, you know, while these aren't movie studios, you know, there is definitely something we'll be talking about lots and have been already about this this idea of, of branding an entity. And in news themes, of course, you know, that is so important. It's basically when you're in the kitchen, you know, stuck in the oven or got your head in the sink, or whatever, in the pantry, and you hear the opening strains of whatever news theme it is, the world over, you know, that is the same call to attention as you'd have at the start of a film. There's always that Morse code vibe, isn't there? Yeah, it's like... Yeah, it's like musical Morse code. Yeah, and it's often like a xylophone and some big sort of repetitive figure that it's like, it's tension, you know. Which makes it even stranger that it just comes out of nowhere that in a sequence of a movie that's got absolutely nothing to do with communication or Morse code or telegrams or anything like that, or the news, yeah, and yeah. yet sounds so like it. It kind of like if we're going to build the uh, Art of the Score expanded universe, uh, we can direct listeners back to our uh, The Force Awakens episode with the sequence where... Uh, I think uh, Ray and Finn take the Falcon and there's that just that little brief moment of it sounds like a news theme. So yeah. tell you what, budding <laughs> news producers out there, if you're looking for a little bit, just a little bit of music for your theme, just uh, write to Disney and ask if you can use uh, that excerpt from Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, they'll give it to you cheap. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of Disney, in 1985, we get a renewed title card of the famous When You Wish Upon a Star theme which is really interesting because it's like one of those studios a bit like 20th Century Fox that are just sticking with the one thing. They haven't decided to update the melody in terms of getting something completely new. They're just refreshing it. They're just keeping the same theme and giving it a different spin. And this version in 1985 was actually arranged by film composer John Debney. Uh, So check it out. What's so interesting about that is that I feel like the more important aspect that they're highlighting is not the melody, it's it's the octave leap. You know, mm. that they just have that little bit at the start and then a, a bit more sort of shimmer and then they, they kind of get through the melody quite in a perfunctory way. They just sort of, you know, they're on to the next chord progression. But to me, yeah, the octave leap is really the the memorable lick that audiences go, ah, that's right. It's a Disney film. And especially in the 80s, Disney had a massive resurgence. Mm. Um, and I remember growing up seeing the never-ending story films. Do you remember them from mm. the 80s and, and mm. early 90s? And the second film in particular, the main melody from that took a page straight from When You Wish Upon a Star with the first three notes are identical. And this is this is by a composer, Robert Folk, who also incidentally wrote the Police Academy theme. Oh. <laughs> <laughs>
And whilst, you know, Neverending Story isn't a Disney film, there was such the era of like those imaginative fantasy mm. films that, they'll, you know, think Dark Crystal, mm. um, all, all those kinds of films that really, you know, aimed at sort of a teenage audience to, to, to just basically dream. You know, that was such a big thing of Disney's and I feel that through the 80s and 90s there was a huge amount of those kind of films being made. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, you know, Disney as well trying to figure out what they were in the 80s too. I mean, you know, the, Walter died. Um, I think Roy um, died either in the 80s or the 90s, um, but was certainly not as involved in the day-to-day running of the, the company. And, you know, then there's the resurgence of the animation division beginning with Little Mermaid, which we've also done a episode about. Uh, but yeah, just, yeah, really, uh, you know... You, I reckon actually you could you could really interestingly just take all the Disney ones back to back and then they just become the powerhouse from the nineties on and <laughs> it's 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 all when you wish upon a star all the way. <laughs> now we're gonna go back to THX because this next logo was controversial in that it was rewritten a few years later because of complaints from theatre owners that their speakers were blowing (laughs) and it's actually written and produced by James Horner who we haven't really heard from much until now he had a big break with Star Trek The Wrath of Khan one of his earliest films and this particular logo if you remember it it's the one that looks like you're kind of going through hyperspace Mm. um, you know or like through the Stargate remember that thing when they go through the Stargates all the kind of the light tunnels like a roller coaster ride through it um, it starts with like an orchestra tuning and then if you're listening on a car or with headphones, just don't turn it up too loud because <laughs> if it was blowing people's speakers, it may blow your eardrums out if you have it too loud. But it's, I think it was like the piercing, almost like glass shattering kind of explosion that happens in the middle as you head through this light tunnel that was uh, the source of many complaints. Mm. And you can see it's almost like designed to showcase speakers. There's mm. sort of like, there's really high-pitched frequencies. There's a low kind of tremor in the middle. You know, there's sort of some sound effecty wind noises. It's like, here's what our cinema surround sound environment can do that your, your home theater can't. Mm. I mean, can you imagine how much popcorn has been thrown into the air (laughs) in shock (laughs) listening to that. Do you guys want to hear version two? Yes, please. Sure. Version two sounds like that kind of shattering bit in the middle is more orchestral Mm. and it sounds like the ending to like every second James Horner film with that passage that he seems to, to love and reuse over and over.
<laughs> I'm, I, I'm original. I, I do like the boldness of that just total freak out moment in the, the middle of the original. It's just uh, <laughs> total chaos out of absolutely nowhere. I can see why there were complaints. So the last 80s uh, studio logo is for Castle Rock Entertainment. And this was a company started by Rob Reiner with a couple of his mates, uh, director Rob Reiner. And he had just done a film called When Harry Met Sally. And he had met and used a film composer for the first time there called Mark Shaman. And the two of them would have a great career together doing films like Misery, uh, A Few Good Men, The American President, uh, Michael Douglas's Finest Hour, mm-hmm. uh, and more recently The Bucket List. But the bit of music is is beautiful and it's got a lot of airplay at the end of of a lot of television shows and, and reruns that you've likely heard in more recent time. There's that musical sparkle at the end. Yes, there is. <laughs> Every time. It's nice. It's just like a simple little... It's almost like a Sondheim, you know, nostalgic, wistful looking back. You know, you could just see him sort of riffing in the 80s. Mm. (laughs) Heart of the score. (laughs) I love you out of the score. Oh... Everybody! Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Whatever. Yeah, you know. Well, that's the second time. That's the second time we've been able to... We're the only musicians in the world who have mm. managed in real time <laughs> to record amazing music over Zoom. That's true. It's wow. twice now. That it's is fluke. That is impressive. <laughs> I, I, I will say, though, re- returning to uh, the theme... <laughs> <laughs> that that da, da 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 that to me I think is almost the definitive one that when you've played it, Nick, I'm like I have heard that thousands of times. You mean the uh... yeah, and and mm. never never once given it more thought than just now. Like it's it's embedded in my brain, but have I ever consciously thought about that melody? Probably not. I mean, what what are the what are the TV shows? Um... I want to say, and I'm not looking this up, so this is going to be wrong. Mm. I want to say, is it Seinfeld? What What is the one that I always has? I want to say Seinfeld too, but I think a lot of the TV show have, have like they have like multiple. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, you know, look, we, we could do a whole thing. Yes. On TV no, you're right. Spots. Seinfeld, he says, definitely not. Also, googling. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, like as you say, these little stings at the end of you know when you've watched your seventieth episode in a row. Mm. Um, sort of get baked in somewhat. Mm. Mm. Now, look, just before we leave the 80s, I have a quick bonus. Yes. Um, you remember this fanfare from uh, the 1930s? <laughs> Is-
Isn't this um, a uh, 20-year-old Dan Golding, how he used to get out of bed? Is that that one? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, that is the one. But mm-hmm. it's you know, specifically uh, Max Steiner's Warner Brothers logo. Yeah, well, it did get the Royal 1988 treatment for Warner Brothers Home Video. And this is synth heaven or hell, <laughs> depending on, uh, on uh, your interpretation. Why do they do that? Why do they go like, all right, when you get the movies, you get the big orchestra. When Mm. you're buying the crappy VHS tape from Blockbuster and renting it, you get the shitty, you know, synth version. (laughs) Is that just a slap in the face to people who aren't spending the big bucks at the movies? What do you think Warner Brothers thinking there? I don't know. Surely it can't be a licensing problem, not for that long ago. No. Hmm. That's uh oh that's that's rough. <laughs> now I've I've read that that's allegedly done by Goldsmith, but I don't know. Was he just like having a bad day and oh, okay, I'll just fart something out on the synthesizer. Yeah. <laughs> Look, who knows? Did didn't expect to get the full podcast treatment uh, you know, <laughs> 4 years later. Now, uh Dan, that brings us through to the 1990s and uh my I've I've been doing some more research. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't believe it. I would not. I found <laughs> I found another um, uh, out of the score. Uh, this is a very different theme. This one, okay. And you know, coming off the back of, of that sort of wonderful orchestral success um, of your your James Horners and your Jerry Goldsmiths and and your John Williams, it was um, it was actually Nick's. Um, I want to say uh, first cousin. Actually, oh, the second cousin once removed on his uh, mother's side. Twice removed, actually. So twice. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Um, it's uh, Barry Buck, BB, uh, <laughs> Barry BB Buck. Um, so uh, here, here it is. <laughs> it's that, I that love final it. hit Good it on just, you, Barry. just makes the whole thing it's uh, an instant classic yeah <laughs> yeah Barry worked for Hans Zimmer for many yeah. years um, he was the guy that used to basically plug all the cables in at the back mm. <laughs> um, yeah, right. of all the computers and you know he'd be there late at night and I remember him yeah he he, he sort of borrowed Hans's rig mm. at like 4am one morning and, and ripped that out and um, I think Hans got the credit but um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah written by, mm. by Barry mm. B.B. Buck yeah it's, right uh, a sign of things to come in the 90s yeah, incredible indeed. work <laughs> but look let's turn to Arguably one of the biggest studios in Hollywood, which is Universal. Fresh off the bat in 1990, they got a brand new fanfare by none other than James Horner. Here it comes. I love it. I love this one. 
Mm. It's nice, isn't it? It is very reminiscent of a few things. And I think that's why people love it because it's really riffing off super popular things that have come a little bit before it. And it starts right from the opening. <laughs> What's that? I mean, you guys hearing that? I, uh, <laughs> that's yeah. like at the opening, you know, that, which is basically the riff from Part of Your World from The Little Mermaid, which won the Academy Award a year earlier by, by Alan Menken. Um, and the whole progression actually is built on that same pedal low note with a rising you know, chord progression on top. And then it finally resolves to the B. <laughs> so really, the, if you just take out the pedal thing, the whole progression is just going... You know, reducing it to its yeah, kind of. It sort of it just takes a while to get there, and it does it in a really kind of long, beautiful way. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. There is a there is a reason why I, I have a connection to this one, Nick. Um, when I was helping to produce the live show um, of Babe with easily my favourite Australian composer Nigel Westlake. We put in a, a call to Universal and requested the James Horner music from, from that period and put it in there and, and so on. And it was, this is one of those other ones that as soon as that music played before the Babe presentation, everyone in the audience just was like, oh, there's something sort of so lush and, you know, because mm. it's full massive orchestra sort of playing that really lush sort of strings thing. And um, yeah, it's one of those sort of weird uh, fanfares that that also elicited a really almost surprised re re yeah, reaction from the audience. Mm. So. Look, I reckon it's surprised because apart from Star Wars, like if you ask any punter off the street, all right, name you know, your five favourite films, that you know, they'd reel them off. Now say, all right, which studio logo appears at the front of that film? Or you know, who, who produced that? Most people wouldn't have any idea. Mm. You know, Star Wars, they, they really link it. Whereas I think in this case, you know, they're there to see Babe and then that, that aha moment is like, Oh, this is the fanfare that's yeah. it's, it's that studio. Yeah, it's more yeah, like yeah. it's a real kind of pleasant discovery. And I think that that's kind of nice. I reckon Nigel Westlake could write a great studio fanfare. He wrote the SBS News theme as well. Oh, yes. oh okay. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Um but yeah, no, I really like this one. Yeah. And the very end of it is such a oh, such an eighties, nineties sort of film score, uh, that sort of And it really reminded me of, do you guys remember the end of Star Wars A New Hope? Just They've just blown up the Death Star and you get that kind of... You know, that little mm. shimmer as, as they kind of fly off. It really reminds me of this. You know, it's just like a sort of slightly <laughs> sort of more tonal version than what Williams does with the Rebel fanfare. And so that, yeah, that, that resolution with a bit of there's something more to be said mm. um, is interesting. And what's spookier is that the very next fanfare I'm going to play, also from 1990, is for Hollywood Pictures. So keep this in your head at the end of the Universal one. And have a listen to the start of Hollywood Pictures by Danny Elfman.
sort of like it's just it's like passing the baton. Here's how I ended my fanfare. Danny, you're yeah. next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'll start with that. <laughs> you know, and then he'll he'll, he'll do something something else at the end. <laughs> oh, a little interesting here. Tritone substitution modulation there, <laughs> um, and we're on to you know into the rest of the nineties. Mm. Now we go to Australia. Now that place, gosh, yes, this is the uh, local many, content. Mm. The local content, yeah. the one and only yeah, local, the local content. content. I think. <laughs> now we don't know who wrote this, but mm. many people in Australia visiting the movie theaters in the nineties will remember the sound of village roadshow films. Gee, that is a sound. Do you know what what I I wonder, Dan? You'll you'll know more about this than me. But is that particular Village Roadshow logo theme mm. so familiar to Australians? Is it because that Village Roadshow ultimately were like the local distributor for piles of different things, especially on VHS and so on? Like I I feel like it was before almost everything. Yeah, I think you could be right with a lot of that international distribution here. But I wouldn't be surprised if our international listeners are familiar with that sound as well because Village Roadshow has distributed a lot of films around the world, especially if they've ever seen an Australian film. Um, they've probably probably heard that. It's funny hearing that I pretty much exclusively associate that with going to the movies. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah, exactly. Like I don't... I don't picture myself on the couch when hearing that. I'm at a local kind of probably small scale movie theater, not a big chain. I've got. Was some it exclusive popcorn. to village cinemas? Because we have a village cinema chain. Yeah. Well, this yeah, is what I'm Australia. asking. Is that is that the reason? Is that were you at village cinemas and therefore you just heard it every single time, no matter what the film was? It could be. It could be. Yeah, actually, that it was also used as like a the exhibition um, sort mm. of logo. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Anyway, I should know. it's um, yeah. Australian as a uh, lamington, which is... <laughs> With Vegemite on top. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, shout out to um, our friends at Village Roadshow. Yep. Mm. We're going to head back to Columbia Pictures now. And this is an interesting fanfare because it really plays on the Lydian scale and a sense of relief of where we're heading with this melody. They make you wait just that little extra beat, don't they, for the resolution? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do. I mean, it's just a C major scale kind of going up with a, a sharp four. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with a big la, burst there. Da, da, da. What is that? <laughs> What's that? Yeah, da, da, da. You mean this bit? Now, audience members, we all know you're all screaming at your car 
telephones, whatever you're listening to our podcast <laughs> on. Tele- saying, podcast. <laughs> car yeah. slash yeah, telephones, okay, okay. headphones, whatever. Uh-huh. And um, you were saying that is, of course, guys, the what? Diazire. Oh, my God. Oh, Diazire. <laughs> oh, my God. See, I, there it is. That is oh a genuine one, folks. I, I, we didn't have that one planned. And I'm yeah. like, what is that? Why is... Oh, I, thought, I thought you were leading to No, no. I wasn't. I <laughs> wasn't. Hilarious. I'm like, why, why is that? Yeah, okay. It's well, that was natural. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's also, is that last interval the biggest in the entire melody? Da-da. Uh. Yeah. Because well, rest- apart from the leap up, oh, the, the leap up, there. they're different phrases. Yeah. It doesn't really count. And I always, I hear a bit of, um, oh yeah, a bit of et maybe. Mm. Um, but yeah, the Dio Zero is sort of like hidden, disguised. So what are we saying about Columbia? Are they kind of go into <laughs> horror films, or <laughs> yeah, it's their fate. Well, the day of death. Well, well actually, um, I, I've been noticing a little bit of a pattern bef- uh, here as well because um, previously we were talking about um, United Artists getting a fanfare after they were bought by what was it, MGM. Well, Columbia. This is from what ninety three. Um, they were bought by Sony in eighty nine. So really, I think we're starting to see these older studios. Um, that haven't had much in the way of a fanfare suddenly get one after they've been purchased by um, well eaten up by a larger company <laughs> and and maybe maybe yeah having to to rearticulate their their brand yeah now there was a little point in the 90s where the fanfares for some of these sort of studios would actually be almost lifted from actual film scores it's like they were so smitten with a bit of music from a particular composer that they just sort of licensed it. And um, Morgan Creek Productions in 1992 was an example where they basically used an exact excerpt of Michael Kamen's uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves fanfare. Is it terribly uncool for me to say that if I was to put my finger on what is my secret absolute, you know, crush in terms of like a an a film that not a lot of people really talk about? Mm. Um, I mean, it would be Robin Hood. That that score is so great. It's, it's so. Good. I, 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 there's almost certainly a nostalgia attached to it for me at a certain time that I watched it and, and with the certain people, but I I don't know that. Score is yeah, bum ba dum ba dum ba da ba 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 dun etc. It's so great. No, Andrew, it's it's this you really love. Well, yeah, there's that bit as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, I totally. What a film! What a film with Alan Rickman giving the performance of a lifetime. Yeah. Threatening to cancel Christmas and eat people's hearts out with a spoon, like. We haven't had that many requests for that particular score. I know. This is why I think it's a bit of a you know a a buried gem. Um, yeah, because the film is great too. The film is—it's easily my favorite Robin Hood film. Um, and oh, okay, Sorry, Daniel. No, Daniel I just has heart attack. I, okay, I Daniel. have, I have, I have. Like Go. honestly, one of my top five films ever is the Errol Flynn uh, okay, Adventures okay, of Robin okay. Hood. I turned yeah. that one on and there was no colours in it. Yeah. So I was like, oh, uh, no. there was his, no colours in too it. Tight it's too. one of the earliest uh, um, uh, colour films <laughs> made in Hollywood. 
Well, it was on the black and white TV. Yeah. It's a Technicolor work of genius, Andrew. Yeah. Color TV hadn't reached orange in New South Wales at that time of the 80s, Dan. Orange is a small country town where Andrew is from, folks. Do you know that when I was first moved to Orange, that they only had two TV stations and one of them was in black and white? Well, there you go. This was the 90s, folks. Maybe that's anyway, um, yeah. country, mm. country Australia. Um, yeah. let, let's move past, past yeah. that train wreck. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, look, another, another studio that actually pinched a bit of music from the film was the company Regency. And they actually lifted a little bit of music from Danny Elfman's Summersby score. And so what I'm actually going to play the exact excerpt as it appears in Summersby. Sorry, can you, you'll, what is Summersby? It's a film. Yeah. <laughs> um, Danny Elfman wrote the music for it. Yeah, okay. Are you listening, wrote, Dan? Yes. Yeah. No, Summersby is a sort of period drama starring, I think, Jodie Foster. Ah, okay. Look, in these two episodes, we have mentioned more films and composers and studios than we will ever mention in any other episode. So I'm surprised that it's taken this long to come up with a film that I just am absolutely drawing a blank on. That's... Um, Yep, no idea. Yeah, look, Summersby is a, a period drama starring uh, everyone's favourite, Richard Gere and Jodie Foster. You know, a lot of smooching. Mm. Um, <laughs> sure. Yes, you know, yes, Big yes. gowns. Yes. Um, yes. Uh, yeah, James Earl Jones is in it, mm. Dan. Great. You know, and Bill Pullman. I mean, two... Mm. Star Wars, well, Star Wars, Star Wars, Spaceballs, yeah. alumni. <laughs> same thing. Same yeah. thing. Yeah, really. same thing. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, um, beautiful score by Elfman. And I'm sure you would have heard this bit of music in, um, in the Regency logo or something very similar to it. And especially that horn call bum is so yeah, so haunting. And mm. I remember seeing that uh, on the logos just ooh, it sort of yeah, it, it got got the feels going for me definitely. I'm gonna have to check that um that soundtrack out. That's it's cool. nice. Yeah. 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 It, I think look, I think the film's you know, a civil war film, so it's um I really shouldn't poo-poo it. Mm. Um I've never seen it, but it's it's yeah, it does have a beautiful score. Well it, yeah, real um film music uh harmony in there. Like you, you sort yeah. of you don't really hear that. In many other genres, the the chords of awe in there, yeah, yeah. and definitely, you know, you, you hear almost that. There's that sort of dark, deep romanticism that Danny Elfman, you know, channels in, like, um, you know, um, what's uh, what's more with the scissors? <laughs> Edward scissors. Yeah. What's the one with the scissors with the guy called Edward? What's that yeah. called? Yeah. <laughs> They're on his hands, I think. Yeah. I want. I was going to say the nightmare before scissors. Or something. <laughs> Look, let's move on to New Line Cinema in 1994, which everyone will know. Um, and again, written by Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves' Michael Kamen. Nick, is that the same Michael Kamen who wrote the music to the best Robin Hood film, <laughs> Prince of Thieves? 
Uh, yes, mm. starring Kevin Costner. Yes, that's that's <laughs> that's the guy. I mean, that's the film. Yeah, that's the film. The film really. Robin Hood film. I mean, yeah. let's just talk about that film. <laughs> <laughs> but look, that's an interesting cue because it's just um, it's just like the same idea yeah. repeated down every octave. And your little sparkle at the end. But again, it was lifted, well, not lifted, very highly influenced by his own score to Highlander back oh, in 1986. Remember sure. that guy with the long yeah. hair? What was his name um, in all those that Highlander guy. films? It was one of the Bucks, wasn't it? Yeah, well, yeah. No, the main actor. He was like Kevin Sorbo, but not Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> Always sort of, you know, had long hair. Like Kevin Sorbo meets um, Kenny G. Yeah, that, that kind of hair. And you're saying it wasn't a Buck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yes, that, that, that style of haircut does not run in my family. But anyway, have a listen to this cue from Highlander called The Quickening, and you'll hear this sort of, um, yeah, a, a very similar vibe. You know, that could almost be a studio logo with a bit of shimmer and work underneath it. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, yeah, that's, that's interesting. Close. I do, I do like that uh, New Line logo, though. It, it's probably one of the more memorable ones outside of the, you know, the the huge ones that that probably your, your average person can name, like your Fox and Universal. It's, yeah, it's 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 just it's very pleasant. I mean, they're like suspended chords, aren't they? At the end. Um. Yeah. So it ends like an F. Instead of, would you make an F major chord? They swap the third for the second, and the same with that final resolution. So if I was to play major chords, you know, it sort of has the same effect, but it doesn't have as much sort of introspective kind of tension. It's sort of almost a bit like pop songwriting. Sort of yeah. style. Um, yep. Yeah. Def- definitely. Mm. Speaking of pop songwriters, we're going to go to United Artists again, and a combination of composers who did a lot of sort of like almost like production music and music that was not often written for film underscore, but for sort of either advertising jingles and stuff like that. And the combination of composers I'm talking about is Star Parody and Jeff Eden Fair. And they wrote a pretty hip fanfare for United Artists. It's not a logo if you don't finish with that shimmer. (laughs) It is the same kind of vibe. It sort of has a a seduction in and then a big fanfare in E major with the sparkles. Yep. Mm. I'm really detecting a theme. Yeah, yeah. But what sets this apart is that sort of, and it's funny, I saw someone in YouTube comments when I was looking this up describe it as like canto pop. And I don't know what canto pop is. Canto pop. I, I'm wondering if it's some sort of like like an Asian pop style. Yeah, like Cantonese. Kind of like swagger. Mm. And it's quite exotic in the middle. And I always find that's that's the identifying thing of that particular logo. 
Well, I, I'd actually, up until researching this episode, kind of assumed that it was written by David Arnold because I so associate that with the James Bond films of his era that he was writing the soundtracks for. And that is just that little yep. bit of electronica that he often puts in his soundtracks. It, it, yeah. it sounds like, I mean, you know, when it opens uh, Tomorrow Never Dies or, or, or The World Is Not Enough, it just sounds like it's the same vibe bleeding from one to the other. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And may- maybe that was something that they discussed with him because, you know, remember, don't forget Goldeneye, which disappeared at the beginning of in 1995, was scored by Eric Serra, mm. you know, a couple of years before Arnold joined the franchise. But the combination of Jeff Eden Fair and Star Parody actually did the trailer music for that Bond film, Goldeneye, mm. which to me was, as a massive Bond fan, that, that was the first film I actually saw at the cinema. And it really had a cool a cool undercurrent which is so different to the the sound of John Barry. I'll play a bit of it now because I'm sure many of you remember um, Pierce Brosnan coming out and shooting the letters to form the, the 007 logo. Very cool. It's very cool, yeah. And really like so 90s as well with that start, that kind of like 90s house style. And I I think I'm not sure about the kick drum, but the snare sounds like a 909, which is just so that's that sound for for that era, the the you know, that you would often hear in that music. Um and then transitioning into the full-on rock. And even yep. just just the two drum kits, if you just listen to those, they're just that's the two the two polar opposites of nineties <laughs> sort of music. Definitely. And meanwhile, over at Disney, Randy Newman is doing this. That, of course, is the fanfare at the beginning of Toy Story, mm. which was the first Pixar film. Yeah, the first fully animated feature film. Yeah. And did that become the logo for Walt Disney Pictures in general or just for the Pixar ones? I can't actually remember. I think remember. it was just the Pixar ones. I mean, I could be wrong on this, but I think it only happened on the Pixar Disney ones. Um, yeah. Yeah. And... Yeah, and then maybe, I mean, is this wrong to say? Was it mostly, I mean, no, it continued into Ratatouille, so I, it wasn't just the Toy Stories either. Well, there was also that period, let's not forget, where sort of Disney was really eclipsed by Pixar and then they bought Pixar. <laughs> so, yeah, it sort of is another sort of transition point for them as well, I think. And Pixar did have their own logo, which for my memory was sort of musicless. It just had that little robot they- kind of bouncing along and squeaking and the jumping on the eye is, and lighting yeah, up. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the, it still, yeah. still has that one, I think. Yeah, but yeah, 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 there's no, still no music yeah. to that. Mm. Hmm. Um, something a bit different. In 1996, I'm sure many people will hear this next logo and immediately think of a particular TV show which is about to follow. <laughs> that, of course, is the logo for HBO. Now, Dan, what do you think of when you hear that logo? Sex and the City. 
every time. Next to the city, Look, there was a it was a great show. It was a it was a very long, long lived show. So people around the world heard it many times. Yeah, and it's basically like a. Like almost like a TV. Well, the actual logo itself is a TV turning on, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and they have like an the inverse of that at the end where it's on and then go, goes off. Yeah, yeah. It what music out. plays? Or what Sting plays? Is it the same as that? Or is it like that reverse? Yeah, it's basically that backwards. I mean, I don't think it's literally, you know, backwards, <laughs> but but it's the same <laughs> But it's the same effect, uh, you know, in that it starts with the TV on and then it gets switched off. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we then get another huge animation house that gets introduced, which is DreamWorks. And in 1997, they get a, um, a little studio logo theme written by none other than the great John Williams, which many people don't know because it, it's sort of, it's a bit deceptive. It doesn't sound that Williams-esque. And I think because it has quite a gentle opening and it's got like acoustic guitar, it's not really a sound that you associate with Williams. But let's, let's have a listen to it so we all, um, all can imagine this beautiful cloud that's going through the sky and the water droplets. I love that it starts. I mean, because so many of the the logo themes start with the very sort of bare or minimalist, and then into the big fanfare, and always finishes on a, well, we've noticed a big sort of crash, and then a tinkle, tinkle, tinkle at the end. Mm. This doesn't do that. It does have the fanfare, does start minimally, but then it it comes out into the the solo guitar again, and that I love that. It's a nice touch. Yeah. Isn't yeah. It? And those little horns, da da dun 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 dun. That's almost like his lad company stuff, actually. Look, yeah, the the brass chords are definitely the most Williams-ish about it. Uh, and look, look, he has used a guitar. You know, he wrote a great score for a film called Stepmum, starring Julia Roberts, um, that had heaps of solo guitar work in it. And look, you know, this is a a good reason to encourage everyone out there who who don't know the smaller scores of John Williams. I'm talking, you know, Accidental Tourist. Um, um, what's the one with Robert? that he did um, images images yeah. you know some of these off the wall smaller <coughs> scores Jane Eyre seek them out because they're, they're really beautiful and, and show a different side to, uh, to to the great man but even harmonically to me this this it's almost quite classical and has sort of almost like some regal church progressions in the middle mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of, and they're always sweetened with a little dissonance that Williams always does. Mm. They're, they're really kind of, yeah, they're, they're pretty, but his, his delicate orchestrations are so, are so great. Mm. They're always endlessly inventive. Yeah. Uh, endlessly inventive. Absolutely. Yeah. Almost in the middle of when you were playing right at the beginning there, actually, Nick, the delicate way that you played the, the main melody. It's almost like you were sort of almost getting an Alberti bass line in there. It sounded like like Mozart more than anything. Well, well yeah, that, I think that's sort of, it's like it's classical sort of sensibilities. 
It's mm. almost like a little um, exercise that you do before your classical pieces at a performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's nice. It's great. But look, I mean, that was a great fanfare that it is. The other big powerhouse film composer, Jerry Goldsmith, in what is arguably the biggest fanfare to rival 20th Century Fox that we've ever, ever had. This is the big one, boys. And it came out in 1997. It features a massive planet or universe. <laughs> <laughs> a, a universe-sized yeah. planet. Yeah. Written in the favourite French horn key of E-flat. And it goes like this. It's so good. And that, of course, is the fanfare for Universal Studios. I, how can you not love that? It's, <laughs> it's a great it's, one. It's a great one. And, and look, I was thinking about this. Arguably the most famous bit of music that Jerry Goldsmith ever wrote. Whoa. Do you, do you reckon? You probably. I mean, just, just through its sheer exposure. Yeah. I mean, you'd yeah. have to think almost all these huge fanfares have just had more exposure just because they're yeah. attached to multiple films. I guess you said mm. most famous. You didn't say best. No, I, no, I deliberately, mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. Even though many people wouldn't know who wrote half of these fanfares. Yeah. So, uh, but as, as a standalone piece of music, absolutely. Mm. It, it's hugely famous. And interesting, that, um, that opening horn thing, if you listen to it again, the way it's panned, the first phrase is eight French horns sort of sitting on the left. The next phrase are actually eight Wagner tubers Whoa. sitting on the right. I'm just going to play it again. Have a listen. It's a very slightly different tonal shift. Same, they're, they're sort of written in the same keys and whatnot, but they um, they face upwards. If anyone doesn't know what a Wagner tuba is, it sort of it sounds a bit like a French horn. In fact, sounds very similar to a French horn, but sort of looks a bit like a tuba. You sort of cradle it in your arms. It's like, like a tuba that's it. been put in the wash. <laughs> yeah, smaller. Like you're holding a newborn tuba. <laughs> uh, yeah. So first phrase is the is the horns on the left. Second phrase is the Wagner tubas on the right. Check it out. Some um, universal flexing money, isn't it? It's where you've got your your eight French horns, your eight Wagner tubers. That's like no expense spared. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, the first film that it appeared uh, in front of was Jurassic Park too, so they did indeed spare no <laughs> spare no expense. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just got everything, doesn't it? It's got your your great opening statement, then your equally great following answering statement which is basically the same thing and then swelling into this huge you know sort of climax but that's driven underneath the whole time by these huge percussive stabs in the one instance to divide the opening statements and then the driving beat it's just it's ah it's everything it's massive it's huge it's triumphant um kind of semi-militaristic, yeah. And it's, you know, it it creates expectation because it's static at the start. It's just the one E-flat chord, you know, and it's just a shimmer in the strings. There's no bass except for the, you know, those big long plonks. And then you get... 
you know, basically stock goldsmith chords. Mm. It's as majestic and sort of muscular as as they get. And I think that's why it's just so successful. Yeah. And it ends with a bang as well. That's, you know, like for all that we've been talking about, the way that a lot of these follow similar patterns, I've noticed that in the 90s anyway, we do have a little bit more of a um, dominance of that kind of welcoming us into the picture and that kind of opening up. Um, that these fanfares are ending more so at least than in the earlier eras that we we're looking at in the previous episode. But this one is like, it ends with like, boom, yep. here it is. Yeah. yeah, it's not mucking around. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yep. Um, pushing on, Warner Brothers releases a new sort of logo. This is the one that sort of, it's a great one, sort of pans over the studio lot with the Warner Brothers sort of logo kind of coming into focus. And an interesting musical choice. I'll play it and then we'll, we'll have a bit of a discussion. Now, this is a classic, in my opinion, demonstration of old meets new mm. because they've used an old classic song from Casablanca as time goes by from the, well, when was Casablanca? 40s? 42, or 30s? I think it was. With that sort of, you know, that sort of honky piano jazz progression. You know, sort of suspended chord there. And then it kind of bombastically reaches into the the new and grabs these huge, big kind of contemporary chords. Mm. You know, almost like the Universal logo ends, you know, and, and with that big, big fanfare. And, and musically, it, it's those two things. It's old, it's new, it's light, it's heavy. And it really pulls on the nostalgia feels of the old films, but really lets you know that it, it is a contemporary movie house sort of at the same time. And, and, and it with Disney, I mean, they're the two examples of these um, studios that have the long and storied history and the big hits and the big musical hits enough that they can go back into their back catalogue and pull out this song in, in, you know, as time goes by and when you wish upon a star and turn that into the brand for the whole company. And I read that that was arranged by Gabriel Yared, the film composer. Mm. Um, and I think he had big films like The English Patient at that time. I'm not sure if that was a Warner Brothers film or not. So I always wonder where they, how they choose the composer in these processes. Yeah. Is it, you know, a guy that's been writing a lot of their pictures or flavour of the month? I'm never quite sure. Now, that actually brings us to the end of the 1990s, Dan. And um, my research continued. And it was a little easier because, you know, we didn't have to go back into the archives too much. But I found that there was actually, it was only really short-lived, this one. It only played before a few of the Art of the Score. At that point, Art of the Score was really heavy in um, uh, Laserdisc release only. Um, <laughs> and uh, we, we had, um, I'm not sure which relative this one is, Nick, but it's uh, Tobias H. Buck, um, who... I don't know what the H standard for, stand stood for, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, old uh, Toby um, uh, came up he- with this heavy one. drinker. Heavy drinker <laughs> came up with this one.
Now let's um <laughs> let's break this one down, Nick, because mm. um, we only just heard from the Warner Brothers as time goes by, and let's go back through its great catalogue and you know the the honky tonk piano or whatever you want to call it. I feel that old Tobias H. Buck. Has really just gone and ripped that off, hasn't he? Like he's <laughs> he's decided that yeah. mm, uh, mm. Warner Brothers. Well, that's good enough for out of the score. That's good enough for the Buck Dynasty. Um, mm. And he's come in with that, but then he couldn't help himself, and he's gone straight into that sort of very electric mm. thing. After that, I mean, it could be advertising Pentium computers, um, <laughs> you know, at that point. But yeah, look, he was pretty hip to the groove, Tobias. Mm. Um, I'll be honest. Now disowned by the family. Oh, really? <laughs> really? But, um, yeah, all that yeah, like EDM music. Yeah, yeah, EDM, yeah. Mm. hard drugs. Mm. Um, <laughs> and um, but look, yeah, he he found his sound yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> With that little revelation, um, what was everyone else doing? I know what Art of the Score was doing at this time, but what was everyone else doing, Dan? Well, one of the studios, well, really, you know, massive conglomerates, I've already mentioned them because they've sort of eaten up a lot of the other film studios um, by this point in history. But um, they start making their own uh, fanfares, both for home and a few of their other ventures, but it's uh, Sony. So in 2005, we get a, a home entertainment. So is this, this is for DVD releases, is it? I think. Yeah, yeah I assume so. Hmm. Mm. Definitely one I've heard once or twice before. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, DVDs were huge in the early 2000s. Mm. I mean, who doesn't remember hearing that before yeah. one of their favourite films was playing? You know, this is the rise of home theatre systems and, and Dolby AV receivers and all kinds of stuff mm. like that. Yeah. Um, and, so, yeah, definitely a, a popular one. And again, yeah, like with DVDs, that, that rise of that. I don't know if you guys had this as well, but similar to my, um, was it the sound, sound blaster um, <laughs> card in the 90s, but like the, the DVD that everybody would have to own to try out the possibilities of their sound system. Yeah. Um, yeah, you'd have like the test discs yeah, yeah, yeah but yeah, but yeah. also just like whichever blockbuster like in the late 90s it was like either the matrix or star yep. wars episode one the pod racing scene yeah really episode like, one was how i tested out my gear to yeah. see that i'd bought the right thing <laughs> yeah yeah so yeah i mean yeah. but but you know taking that same point I, I reckon a lot of these logos especially for home entertainment at this point are being made for that that in mind like oh yeah you've you've bought the right sound system <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And shout out to Lee Sanders who wrote that uh, particular composition. Dan, do you know anything about Lee Sanders? Well, it, it seems like he's done quite a lot of work for The Amazing Race, um, the reality oh, okay. TV yep. um, show, which is pretty interesting um, because for me, I think um, The Amazing Race is really the first of the reality TV shows to use that blockbuster sound. Okay. Um, yep. So you yeah, know, every it, single decision is like far more dramatic musically yeah, than yeah. is actually happening on the screen. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's like you know they're, they're cooking peas, yeah, yeah, and it's like life's about to <laughs> yeah. you know make or break, death or do or die. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and so that is pretty early, you know, that kind of Bruckheimer sound. It's two thousand and one that the Amazing Race, um, I think, first started. And I think I think he was possibly doing music back then as well but um i mean that that's early for reality tv big brother predates that but that didn't have the same musical style at all Mm. so Mm. Mm. but sony um wasn't done there as well so just the very next year in 2006 their animation division 
got a, a new sound, a new fanfare as well. Um, and this one from a, a, a pretty notable composer. It is James Newton Howard. And that just goes to show versatility because that doesn't sound anything like the kind of music that I generally associate with James Newton Howard. Um, no, I mean, look, most people would say, oh, it's a bit of music from The Incredibles yeah. or something. And look, Incredibles was written two years earlier. That's, you know, mm-hmm. scored by Michael Giacchino. And I wonder if that was like, you know, such a big tentpole film for them and for him and, and the score was so well loved. You sort of wonder whether that was, you know, a little bit of an inspiration. But look, there were a lot of like jazz, like jazz and animation has always been a good friend, yep. especially in the 2000s. Like early 90s, you know, animation was was Mencken. Mm. It was the the beautiful romance and the the Disney sparkle. But in the 2000s, it really got contemporary and it got hip. Mm. And some of John Powell's early scores, like check out a, f- a film he did called Robots. You know, the film was take it or leave it, but the score is is Funk City. Mm-hmm. It is awesome. Um, <laughs> I'd love to play a bit on the podcast one, one day. <laughs> And look, speaking of Disney, we then in the very same year get arguably the most uh, famous of all their their fanfares and logo music that they've had. And this is the, that beautiful panning castle shot that basically opens all, all contemporary Disney films. And this was in an arrangement and orchestration by Mark Mancina and Dave Metzger, who's a, a pretty fabulous Hollywood orchestrator. It has everything, that version, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. It's got the it little contemplative opening. It's got the big sort of bigger lush strings and romance. It then has that little bit of fanfariness. Then the, the Hollywood voices come in. Mm. Um, you've got the little, little tinkle. Cooing, cooing choir. Yeah, yeah. cooing choir, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, the, and the music box. Yeah, the music box, the sort of the childhood and, yeah. and so on. I mean, it's like it's literally second by second you are yeah. almost showing the history of I don't know. Even the, the the logos and and film music history in general, it's quite mm. something that they achieve in that small amount of time. Yeah, and I think that's why this this logo is so special because it does all those things that you just said mm. in you know thirty seconds, mm. and even fireworks as well. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in fact, it's such a beautiful animation. The um mm. that that sort of sweeping around that that CGI. Um, you know, castle and mm. and and so on, and then uh, you can look this stuff up online. But the number of films that have messed around with the Disney castle visually mm. um, is is pre- it's a lot of fun, you know, and it's such a a wonderful um, uh, piece of animation that lends itself to you know little Easter eggs being dropped in there that sort of relates to the film, and you get that, like I said, that sort of kitchen sink 30 second piece and yeah it's just it's really good mm. and it's look it's the ultimate advertisement for for disney as the brand yeah. and you know and disneyland yeah and maybe more than any other studio their 
I mean, I'm trying to think of another studio that has like has a park or has toys. Um, well, Universal Studios has, it, it, yeah. Yeah, look, but, Universal has the park, definitely. Mm. Um, but when I hear the logo, I don't I don't think of the park. I hear the yeah. Disney logo and I'm like, I just want to go to Disneyland. <laughs> I go get yeah. fairy floss and go on that ride that dunks you in the water after seeing all the cute animals. Yeah, well, <laughs> you know? a, 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 absolutely. Um, you know, like Disney was, uh, Disneyland was all about applying the same principles of animation to real architecture. And, you know, with this logo, it's doing the same in reverse in that, you know, the, the the castle is the defining visual point of the whole of Disneyland. You can see it wherever you are, and they have the fireworks every evening. So yeah, it's I think it's meant to a hundred percent really just tie animation, their film studios, um, and the 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 theme park all together in in thirty seconds. Yeah. Now this next one. I actually, I'm curious. I would like to just play it without any introduction. <laughs> just because I think it is so recognizably this composer that wrote it. I reckon this was one of the first fanfares that I heard, one of the first modern fanfares. This is what, uh, 2011. I was just like, that, I know who's written that before. Did you think it was part of the score that was about to be played? Yeah, I mean, it it, it, it could be. It could be for... for Well, let's let's break it down. Mm. First of all, it's probably the first fanfare that's in three. Mm. So it's kind of a waltz. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got Shimmering Strings. We've got Tinkling Celeste. We've got flute and a very sort of bubbly, dancey kind of nature. I mean, it has to be Alexandre Desplat. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that could be a little bit taken from The Painted Veil, from Benjamin Button, from, uh, you know, just countless of his scores. And, you know, not to say he's, you know, derivative or of himself or anything, but just he has such a style Um yeah, yeah, and 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 this is of course for Studio Canal. Mm. Uh, so maybe one of the first foreign studio logos that we've we've looked that we've at. looked at. Yeah, yeah, there definitely have been. Uh, but yeah, Canal. Canal yeah, can, is, no, can I can I just stop you there, Dan? Mm. These have all been foreign studio logos, <laughs> except for Village Roadshow. That's I just true. need to <laughs> to make sure everyone understands yeah. that we have been doing a foreign film extravaganza this That's entire true. time yeah. and look you know even uh sony is you know japanese company as well oh, no, so all of it's foreign let's, Dan. let's not it's, let's not there's very little that is from australia here and therefore yeah. <laughs> we are out in the wild you know well, let's let let's change that to one of the first european there uh, it is uh, <laughs> logos that we've heard because it is i mean we talked about the rank corporation which is english um <laughs> oh, then let's not get into that debate. Uh, but uh, it's a this different is, podcast. This, yeah, Canal, 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 and Canal Plus is really the you know the production company for their TV stuff that I most know them from. Um, uh, of course, I oh no, this is a terrible joke. I regret even saying this. I always think of Canal Plus as the first streaming service, like Disney Plus, or you know. Oh, oh, yeah. Anyway, oh, oh, see, terrible, where's terrible. The, where's the button? Is this a button? Is <laughs> <laughs> that button? <laughs> You just had that on hand. Did you? <laughs> it's just Be special. That's, the, that's the golden episodes. button. I'm naming that one. Oh, God. Um, 
<laughs> but yeah, it's a lovely logo and it's so different in mood as well. Like that's not saying ta-da or sort of like um, sort of like here's a, a bit of excitement. It's sort of like mm, it's not American. It, it's gentle, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. And that little melody. You know, mm. and I, <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I hear um, I hear this. <laughs> You've just of spent you too, too much time in the James Bond universe. <laughs> it's just it. It's the progression, and it's the and it's the leap. Mm. I mean, isn't it also that that mid two thousands into two tens that type of string writing or orchestration or whatever you want to call it, and it's probably coming off the back of computers in terms of being able to write music down and have the computer play it back to you but that the string lines that are constantly repeated and you know so many of those scores in the you know like i said starting sort of mid 2000s to now it's so much of that they're so hard to play for for actual string players um but it's the rise of the ostinato whether it's an action thing or yeah just like a little motoring In, 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 in the string undercurrent yeah. sort of stuff. Incredibly easy to do on a computer with an arpeggiator, though. You just hold down one chord. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, <laughs> like I said, I feel like there's hours. a technology element to this, even if it yeah. is not technology playing it. But uh, yeah, mm. anyway, moving on, moving on. So we've mentioned this composer a few times, this next one, but I don't think we've actually heard from him before. It's Michael Giacchino. Um, so same, same year, 2011, and this is a new one for a very old studio, it's for Paramount. Yeah, look, it's nice. This one has never wowed me it feels safe you know it does what it needs to do it sort of lulls you in with a with a gradual sort of crescendo and swell and ends with a nice fanfare you know what it's like it's like a um car trying to splutter to life like it, it never quite gets going like it, mm. it it's like i've got an idea i've got an idea uh, and it doesn't quite get there mm. you know um and as you say it's fine you know it's it's workable well vi- visually i mean it, it, i think it's the one that's computer generated and begins over the the mountain the paramount mountain uh and it begins with the sort of the close-up of the stars and we sort of fly through the stars and then gradually pull out to um to see the the mountain surrounded by the paramount stars um around it as well um so the the beginnings that we hear is sort of like oh what's being uncovered here what what are we pulling back to see the bigger picture of so yeah, but I mean, you know, like Paramount has sort of been on and off with with their logo music as we've heard over the course of these two episodes. And yeah, I mean, I, I still, I haven't said this so far, but I still always associate to me the most notable Paramount opening title is Indiana Jones with the match cut of the the mountain, you know, and, and, and we can talk about the Indiana Jones theme sputtering to life if once again. <laughs> All right, Dan, quick, quick quiz yeah, for you. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through the four Indiana Jones films and I want you to tell me what oh. the mountain gets matched to in each one. Okay. Okay, so first one, it starts with the mountain of, of Paramount and it cuts to what? Um, well, I mean, it, counts, it cuts to the, to the mountain that they're going through Good. in Peru. Yeah, yeah. 
Good. That wasn't a true question. Yeah. Uh, Temple of Doom. What does it cut to? Um, it starts in Shanghai, doesn't it? So, is it something in the nightclub? Yeah, it's like a sort of rock shard or something, I think. Ah, yeah, that's Sticking the one up. I've seen the least, yeah. Uh, Last Crusade, do you know what it cuts to? Um, <laughs> so, Last Crusade begins, obviously, with the scout adventure as a kid. Um, so, it's the mountain where they're out. Um, You're like in Utah. In Utah. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. one of those rocks, rock um, yeah. formations that they have there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And finally, what about Crystal Skull? This is the best one. Crystal what does that Skull, match cut to? Yes, I do remember this one. It's the CGI molehill um, <laughs> for the yeah, little... Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, <laughs> the, 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 the little CGI... Are they moles, I think, or rats or something that... Mm. Yeah. Something <laughs> yeah. 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 Can't be worse than the Australian desert where everything kills you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we, we come to Australia, folks. Everything kills we, you. We've got a we've got a, a a fifth, presumably match cut. Oh, actually, no, we won't because it'll be Disney for the fifth. Yeah. No more Paramount logo. Now, in 2012, we get a reorchestration of the same theme that we've had earlier, which is an interesting one. This is basically the Universal Studios logo that was reorchestrated by Brian Tyler. Uh, Goldsmith has since passed at, at this point in time. And I mean, this is, we discussed before, it's such an iconic, amazing logo that it's like, you don't want to tweak it and fix it and, and change it too much. So it's just got a bit of an opening baseline that sort of rises up and just adds a bit more of the feels, has a choir added to it, a bit more of a sort of drumline percussion bit at the end. But it's still Goldsmith through and through and it's just bigger and better than it has been. Just when you thought it couldn't get any more muscular, we found a way. Bit of a choir in there, (laughs) bit of sub bass, I think. (laughs) Yeah, look, I I think that's very tastefully done. I I really like that fanfare. It's it's it knows what's great about the original, and it just doesn't mess with it. It just enhances Mm. it. So, uh, hats off to Brian Tyler for that. And speaking of Brian Tyler, he then got the Guernsey the very following year to write a sort of like a studio title card for the Marvel franchise. Which was really picking up steam at this point. Um, he was the, one of the composers for. Was it one of the Iron, Iron Man, Man three? Yeah, mm. yeah I think I think he's done a. I think he did a Thor or two. Mm. Uh, maybe a Hulk. I can't remember. Definitely an Iron Man and a Thor are in there. Uh, but it's it's a it's a good fun one. This. I think that's really interesting because it conveys the kind of feel of the Marvel movies up until that point, which is heroic and superhero-y without, in my opinion, being super memorable. Like, I don't think that melody 
and I don't think it's an insult to say to the composer, I don't think it's designed to stick in your mind that much. It's sort of, it's an impression of superhero music rather than something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that sort of, it's space, it's sort of heroics all at the same time. mm. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think that melody is too kind of angular to be sort of singable and memorable. Mm. But yeah, you're right. The, the vibe is there. Just those sort of two pivoting chords. And what's even crazier to me is that three years later, they canned it and got Michael Giacchino to write a new one, but it kind of sounds the same. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> I really like that one. I gotta yeah, say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why why do you like it better? <laughs> well, because it starts in the expected way with the you know do 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 yeah, but and then it I I feel like it there's like a time signature change or something like that. Like yeah, it's really it off kills her. Yeah. Or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three, one. Yeah. It's weird. It just goes into like a three, four time and then goes back into four at the end. Yeah. Bizarre. And so it's sort of motoring along and be- and being, you know, like the Tyler one, a bit evocative of superhero movies while not being particularly memorable. And then suddenly skids off into this other thing that's like, whoa, okay, now this is designed to stand out in your ear, I think. And then it hits you with the, you know, more expected dun, 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 dun. Um, but, it's a, but it's a natural like ta-da as opposed to like mm, we're entering the grim superhero universe. It's like a, it's like a yeah, you're about to see something eventful. Um, don't, don't you think that these two themes are actually perfect examples of the Marvel Cinematic Universe in, in how it actually changes? Like at the start... Mm. So with your Iron Man one, it's it's still fun, but it is still a little bit serious. And and when you when you look at the Captain America and the original Thor and so on, they're they're like a little bit serious. And there is the odd joke, but they're still they're not dark like like DC. But they're still they haven't found their comedy vibe yet. And then when you get to the first Guardians, you get to um, Thor Ragnarok. You get to, and now all of a sudden, Marvel is—it's like just really fun, and and you hear that in this change in the in the theme. You've got the Giacchino theme that it's like just winking at you the whole time, going, yeah, "This is, yeah, is yeah. going to be a lot of fun." You know, you're gonna you're gonna have a good time here. I definitely think that where those two fanfares come is totally illustrative of that. In that the Brian Tyler one comes is played with Thor two for the first time, which I don't think I'd be offending anybody if I said that's the worst. Marvel film <laughs> um, or the MCU You'd film. be offending the Hemsworth Well, plan. I think even Damn. he would. 
<laughs> He's surely seen it. Um, and, <laughs> and then, and then with 2016 with Giacchino, like they're they're often away in a in a a bit more of a lively, as you say, like tongue in cheek direction. It's with Guardians of the Galaxy two. Like you know, we're really starting to get into the Thor Ragnarok, Black Panther sort of era where these films are allowed to be a lot more kind of I think individually. Um, I'm not going to go as far as to say quirky, but they're allowed to have some kind of personality as opposed to like, you know, the Thor 2 or the later Iron Man films, which are just kind of part of the the studio brand, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I think it's um, it's interesting. And, I, yeah, I do like that one. I, 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 I'm not a huge Marvel fan. This is, Can you believe, I was reflecting, this is the first time I think we've discussed a bit of Marvel music on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. I think that's probably true. Mm. Um, And, you know, I like Marvel movies where I'm not a massive fan, but I do kind of almost against my will get excited when I hear this GK01. It's it's fun. Yeah, it does its Mm. job. Yep. Dan, speaking of getting excited, I think half the world's population gets excited when they hear this. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That means... You're on the couch. It's lockdown again. You're at home. You've had a hard day at work and you've basically done what every other person has been doing for the last 12 months, which is watching Netflix and chilling. Well, no, no, no. no, Do you know what it it signals is that my internet has just buffered and we're finally going to see the episode. That's that's what it means. I I think actually it it preludes um, not necessarily watching anything. It preludes the the best Netflix TV show of all, which is scrolling Netflix for about 90 minutes before just (laughs) Starting to go there. <laughs> yeah. So that that bit of music, well, we can't really call it music. Mm. Um, was written in 2015 by Lon Bender and Charlie Campagna. Mm. And do you guys? Like, How you know did two that- people write that? Well, did one person write the first boom and the second yeah, one the next basically. Boom? It, it, the Lon, I think, did the the dung, and Charlie Campagna did the ah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I've read there are three things here, which is really fascinating. The first tadam is actually one of them knocking their wedding ring against a cabinet in their bedroom, mm. like dong dong, and then there's like a sort of whoop. That's like a slow down anvil sound, and then the final kind of little shimmer sound is like a really old recording of a gu- electric guitar that's been like reversed and slowed down to like thirty seconds, mm. and I've just taken a is. portion of it. Mm. So with that in mind, have a listen to it one more time and see if you can pick those those three elements. Mm. Ah, bizarre. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, and you know, I think as well, uh, it's interesting to throw this in at this point because, yeah, it's not completely sound design uh, and it's not completely digital. In fact, it's, I mean, I'm sure it's digitally processed and, and mixed and everything, but the actual recorded elements are, are not digital. And so it's a bit of old fashioned sound design, a bit of modern sort of polish. And the guitar in there means there's a bit of music. So it's almost like sort of, well, I mean, there, there are all these Venn diagrams, I suppose, of, you know, if we if we go back to when we're talking about the 50s and 60s of TV sort of starting to, to play a role. Well, now it's kind of like it's a bit of a tech company thing. It's not quite the Intel inside, dun, 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 dun. But, you know, it's 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 the descendant of that sound crossed with a film fanfare. In fact, I was reading that they tried a bunch of more musical sounds. And in fact, <laughs> I heard that they tried to do their own Leo the lion. Did, did anybody hear this? No, but not with a no. lion, with another animal. <laughs> yeah, which one? Oh, God. This is not a joke. 
a goat. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> like a bleating goat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I don't, yeah. Well, they're going to have a like a, a a goat in like a ring of and I, yeah, like I just of- no I have no <laughs> idea. So like I, I mean, you know, I guess it's no real surprise that that one didn't quite make it through to the final <laughs> product, wow. but yeah, it's yeah. it's a sign of the times. And look from there, we actually Netflix have, you know, gone into the cinema world and they had another sort of I guess cinematic version of their of their logo written by a very famous and popular composer who's written a lot of music in the last 30 or 40 years let's see if you can guess his style this is for Netflix cinema And that, of course, is the one and only Hans Zimmer. Yeah, it's got that dun 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 that that string thing again. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You really hear his DNA in that, don't you? Even just in the chords. To me, it's it's like almost like the major key version of like those Inception chords. That's what I was going to say. Are we in D minor? Mm. Are we in D minor? Uh, no, we're in F. Oh, F. F. I, I think so, to his credit, know. he moved on from D minor at about 2007. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also another sign of, of Zimmer being, uh, I guess if we were talking about, talking about John Williams doing the news themes and stuff like that, and we could talk endlessly about him doing like the Olympics theme or the you know inauguration music for Barack Obama and stuff like that. It's kind of a, a sign of the times that, Zimmer here is being asked to do this as he's been asked to do the sounds for a whole bunch of things. I think he even did the sounds for an electric vehicle or something like that. He's sort of, you know, need a sound and you've got a bag of cash, <laughs> then uh, Zimmer's your man, I reckon. I do like how it has the little bomb bomb at the end. Yeah, you it's know, that, Yeah, It's sort of smart. Um, mm. I, like I bet it. it would sound really nice in a, in a cinema. I mm. Actually, I have I saw Roma uh, in a cinema, so I have seen a Netflix film in a cinema. I don't remember this fanfare being there, though. Oh, perhaps it slightly predated it. Mm. Mm. Well, we're sticking with streaming services, and we move over to Disney Plus and their brand new Star Wars logo that I think debuted with the Mandalorian series. Mm. Yeah, and it sounds like this. Those strings, Nick. Mm. I'm telling you, this is just modern this era, man. Yeah. Mm. I mean, do you guys what do you hear Star Warsy about that, if anything? There's a bit of the force theme, isn't there? Dum, yeah. Dum, I, 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 I feel that at the end as well, yeah. It just it kind of keeps going up. Mm. And can I ask, when's the Mandalorian set? Set between between uh six and seven. Yeah, like the, I think okay. the first season's like five years after Return of the Jedi. Because what's interesting, like the way that that force theme is like harmonized there, usually, like if that's an E minor, you know, you'd usually have it in an E chord, but it's sort of harmonized on the sixth, which is very unusual. But when I'm thinking about it, it's actually the the very last presentation of the force theme in Return of the Jedi is exactly the same way after like. Luke burns his father and 
Sorry, that, that sounds very mean. The way <laughs> yeah, you, you know when he burns his phone. Yeah, and that's the happy um, note to end the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When Luke mournfully uh, alights the funeral pyre yeah, there for it his is. father, there it is. Lord Vader. Yeah. Um, we get the the same theme, like on that sort of yeah sixth harmony. It's just an E flat. Mm. And it goes on. fade into the stars sort of thing mm. um, at the end there so maybe he's sort of channeling that that same harmony linking who knows and you say he have we worked out who composed this yeah well we think it's Ludwig Göransson who did the um the, Mandalorian the actual score from Mandalorian it, we actually can't find that out we've searched high and low so if anyone actually knows yeah uh, I mean Dan you reckon that sounds like it him, sounds like him yeah I mean you know he does a lot of those sort of you know Brass flourishes in the Mandalorian, and the way that the that it ends with a like that 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 kind of sounds like him, but particularly the electronics, the sort of um quite rhythmically processed sounds. I can't do it vocally, obviously, but um but that are in and amongst there that sounds a lot like Goranson to me. Yeah, but you know, I suppose it could be someone just working in within the house style. I will say though, with the harmonies, I, I I get why it works for the Mandalorian in particular as a slightly darker, you know, take on the Star Wars universe. And you know, this sound I think is used for you know like the final season of um, the Clone Wars animated series and and um, the Bad Batch, and I presume will be used for the for the future live action ones as well. And so it sets the tone okay, but to me. The way it doesn't resolve just doesn't quite feel Star Wars to me. I don't know if you feel the same, but yeah, it's a bit unsatisfying. Mm. I, I will say that. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if they do a uh, Brian Tyler, Michael Giacchino, Marvel, and in a few years it's sort of maybe updated a little. I don't know. Well, look, Dan. Speaking of being unsatisfied, we're going to finish with the most up-to-date studio logo that you can get. Okay. It's written in 2021. Wow. And it's kind of like coming full circle. In fact, it pretty much is coming full circle. We started with Jackie, the walrus, I mean, the <laughs> lion from MGN back in 1928. And would you believe that they've actually decided to replace Leah the lion and his growl with a little kind of musical jingle. So this is the new, brand new, gold shining MGM studio logo for 2021, folks. And you heard it here first on Art of the Score. Look, I'll say two things. I think Jackie's yawn was arguably more interesting. <laughs> number one. And number two, I think the best bit about that is the, the growl at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give us the, but, give us the growl. Come on. Yeah. I mean, come on. Is that not underwhelming? Is it just me? No, Look, no offense. It's lovely. It's a nice little progression, but it, why it just sounds fake. It sounds like MIDI or sort of yeah. sampled horns. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's it's got to be VSTs, right? Yeah. Those horns don't I mean, sound real. COVID's hit hard, but come on, MGM. <laughs> you know, can we not get uh, some some real musicians in the room to uh, to wow us and bring us back into cinema? Yeah, and it's also like I mean, that's the first time that the Lions Roar has had a fanfare set to it 
as well. So it's just, oh, it's a little bit dour in the way the melody is descending. It's sort of going down into the raw. I mean, surely it, yeah. it could be a universal, like, here we're lifting up to the raw. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very subtle, isn't it? Mm. It's, all, it's all down. Like, it's all going down. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Um, there is one more theme that we haven't checked out. Uh-oh. And of course, um, <laughs> Nick, this is a very... Save us from MGM, Andrew. Th- this is a very um, uh, close relative of yours because, Nick, this was your contribution to Art of the Score. And what I really like about this one is that you really went back to your roots, just like MGM. And you, you found um, that sort of original vibe from back in 1932, wasn't it? 32? Anyway, and um, yeah, you, you brought a new recording, a Brian Tyler-esque recording, added a little bit of Nick Buck flair, and um, this is what we get. It's well done, isn't it, Dan? It is very good. Yeah, it is. You know what? Is what, it the first time we've ever heard that without talking? No, about I know. Probably. You know, I had to stop myself from talking over the top <laughs> of it because I thought, you know what? People have never heard this. We're talking mm. over the top. Okay, so mm. I, I let it run. But you know what? You missed out on Nick. You missed out on the the um, the piano intro or the guitar intro. So that's a mess <laughs> up. Yeah. And then you got the fanfare sword in the the middle section. That's really good. I'm I'm digging that. But where was your little flourish at the end? <laughs> <laughs> look, well, look, to, just to ever give one of a history, a few people have written in said, "Oh, what Western is your music <laughs> from?" Really? Um, but huh. I wrote that as a uni student when I got asked by a local, like like some kids, sorry, some kids, some people at Melbourne University were making like a, a university news that was going to be shown on Channel Thirty One. Anyone who lives in Australia knows Channel 31 is like the worst. It's, it's, well, it's, the worst. it's like the channel yeah. with no money that mm. people who are trying to get anything on television choose. Mm. And so it was a TV show called Newsline. It lasted six weeks. <laughs> and I used to play in the Melbourne Youth Orchestra. And I just went to the conductor and said, hey, can I, can I please borrow half an hour of your time? Put up a pair of two stereo mics. Uh, and we did it in three takes. Wow. So that's that's kids playing. Yeah, it's wow. good. And they did it's a good, man. they did a great job. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. for that. Totally. Yeah, it's uh, it's meant to sound newsy. Um, it does, but yeah, yeah. it does. I think yeah. it does. And you know, especially like I mean, uh, Andrew says that he talks over the t- the front of it, but presumably that's what is meant to be. Is after the fanfare, then you totally, have the headlines yeah. over the top. So yeah, I think it's very well done. Mm. Uh, now, guys, we we have got to the end here, but we have one last thing. I thought okay. we'd finish this off on a little bit of fun. And I've put together a little game show for us. It's going to be Dan versus Nick because, you know, I've got to, I've got to host the game show. And um, uh, here's, here's my little introduction. Yes, learning is boring. It's time for... Name That Theme! That's right. It's everyone's favourite soundtrack podcast fanfare trivia show, Name That Theme! I'm your host, Andrew Pogson, and each week we ask our contestants to... Audience... Name that theme! 
So there we have it. So we have my little game show here. We're, we're going to be guessing the movie theme. So what I have here is I've got a whole bunch of examples of, actually it's from three studios, from, from Universal, from Disney, and from 20th Century Fox. And I'm going to play you these, and this is where the composer, I presume of the film, has, or at least the, the company making the film, have messed with the logo music in some fashion <laughs> to make it match the film. So it's not just visual. There's, there's <laughs> lots of visual logos where the music is still the same, but the logo changes to match the film. There's lots of that. We're a podcast. We can't show you those. Um, so this is where they've changed the music to match it. So I'm going to start with some, let's start with some, some universal ones. And I want you guys to, at the end of it, to, to just jump in. And uh, tell me if you can tell if you can work out what film this is from. <laughs> yes, Nick. <laughs> Minions? You are correct. That would be my guess. Uh, very good, very good. One point to you, Nick. Um, here's the next one. Dan, which, which one is it? Uh, is it Scott Pilgrim? It is Scott Pilgrim. Okay, there's our Universal done. We're going to move on to 20th Century Fox. And what 20th Century Fox movie is uh, this from? We both have guesses. You should let us guess and then tell us which one's okay, right. Okay, okay. Nick. Um, that's from everyone's favourite cheerleading film, Bring It On. <laughs> <laughs> uh, da- Ready? Daniel. Okay. <laughs> where, where is this from? Is it from the animation Rio? It is Rio. Well, it's Rio 2. Rio um, I'm not 2. sure if okay. they do it in the original Rio, but um, this is... I thought that was a DreamWorks film. It's a... No, Rio 2. No. Nah. Wow. Yeah. Um, here's another 20th century. Uh, yes, Dan, you have your hand up. Uh, it's the Simpsons movie, isn't it? It is the Simpsons movie. It's <laughs> Ralph Wiggum. It's Ralph, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he appears in, inside the logo and starts yeah. yelling. Um, <laughs> what about this one? To be Rachmaninoff. Yeah. I was going to say, that's from the Rachmaninoff biopic. <laughs> um, it's an animation. <clears throat> oh. Um, that's tricky. Well, let's, Dan, maybe we can try and decipher it. All right. Yeah. There's, a, there's an old timey piano. Yeah. Yep. yep. Um, it's an old timey I mean, 
Is it an old-timey film? No, it's a, it's a modern film, but okay. it's on a, on a franchise or whatever you want to call it that is much older. Is it? Hmm. Mm. I was going to say the one with John Baptiste that just came no, out. No, actually, it's, it. um, it's based on a comic. Oh, a comic. Can I phone a friend? Yeah. <laughs> Can I phone a listener? Uh, okay. okay. If you're listening, call me on 04. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the Peanuts film. Oh. Snoopy. Oh, and I guess Snoopy. who is the um, pianist in Peanuts? Is it is it Lionel or is it... I can't remember my Peanuts. Um, oh. Apologies to people who might be fans of Snoopy and, and Peanuts. Mm. But uh, yeah, anyway, it's the Peanuts film, um, which mm. was the oh, modern wow. one go. in the... 2000s. Um, I, I think technically, Andrew, that's a point to you. Uh, oh, thank that. you. <laughs> I did it. Um, <laughs> here's the final one of the 20th Century Fox. Um, I quite like this one. See if you can pick it. Nick, you had your hand up very fast. This must be a favourite of yours. No, I have no idea. So I'm going to deduce it. Okay. Um, it sounds primitive. Yes. I was first I was seeing King Kong, but I don't think King Kong's a film uh, that's made by 20th Century Fox. So I'm going to guess The Planet of the Apes. Well, yes, you are You mm. are correct. It is I know that's a bit vague. Is War a for the one? Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, War for the, the Planet of the yeah, Apes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, very good. Anyway. Look... So- I, I know you. I know you're hosting this, Andrew. But yes. uh, I want to. I want to throw one back to the uh, the maker here. Wow, jeez. Okay. Um, yep. Can you tell me what this film is from? I don't know. <laughs> what is that? Dan, do you know? No. Dan, you should know. That is 20th Century Fox presents Dan Golding trying to play <laughs> the flute. <laughs> that's, that's, that's accurate. That's accurate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, look, I actually have no idea where that's from. I just found it on YouTube. Mm. I assume it was someone trying to be funny. Mm. And, yeah. it, okay. and it they worked. Succeeded. Yeah. Yep. Um, now, final, final studio we're going to go with. I'm just uh, going to note how much uh, chutzpah it takes to be a contestant on a quiz show, take over the quiz show, start asking your own questions that don't even have answers that you know. <laughs> yeah, this is only out of the score brings you a, uh, a game show like this. We make the rules. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, so we're, go- we're going to finish up with the, the final studio, the selection uh, from them. And of course, it's you know, one of my faves, really, Disney. Um, and uh, let's play this first one. Daniel. Uh, no, now I'm second guessing myself. I thought I heard the. Wally Roller, but I think actually Wally, Wally was like the first Pixar owned Disney film or second or something like that, so it can't be that, I don't it, think. It is not Wally, no. <laughs> Do you have any idea, Nick? Look, the little boing 
sort of yeah, lends me to think it's something like robotic. Oh. Is it? Yes, Dan. Sorry. Is it? I, I, I'm, I'm talking here, Dan. You can't just jump in. There's no rules in this. We've already worked out there's oh, no rules here, Nick. I thought it was gentlemanly. Like every man <laughs> has a chance to speak freely first. Okay, Nick. Okay, Nick. What do you got? Uh, well, Dan, how about you give me a clue? No, 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 yeah. no, you, you, you keep going. <laughs> um, I got nothing. Mm. Sorry. Uh, I was going to guess, is it Wreck-It Ralph? No. Oh. But would it help that if right after all those springs and cogs um, come in, it, it instantly goes into bom ba dom ba dom bom ba dom ba dom bom Inspector Gadget. Huh. Yeah, it's Inspector Gadget. Oh, of course. Yeah. The boings and stuff. Yeah, Inspector Gadget. Mm. Um, this is an older one from Disney. Check it out. I'm hearing kazoos. Yes. So there's silliness involved. Mm-hmm. That's that's for sure. Um, this this is an obscure one. I, I I actually was really worried when I put these together. <laughs> that you'd just be sailing through these. So this is a uh, hard okay. One. Is it anything to do with Porky Pig? No. A Muppets one? No. It's called Recess. School's out. Oh, that. Oh, why didn't what? I? Why didn't I guess that film that I've definitely heard of? <laughs> let alone would recognize the opening titles. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and this this is actually well very new, really. It's a rearrangement of the one we played. It is a rearrangement. It's yeah, an even yeah. more modern version. Wow. So how yeah. new are we talking? Are we talking 2021 here, Andrew? I don't think it's... T- oh, is it 21? It's really recent, though. In the last year or two, if it has indeed come out, I'm not sure. Well, I haven't been to the movies the last two years, mm. so how can I possibly mm-hmm. guess this? <laughs> and it involves... Maybe here's, here's another hint. Um, I, I mean, look, I'm going to go ahead and just say this. I could be actually wrong, but um, it could involve... Dudamel conducting. Really? Could. Maybe. I think I read this. No. Live action. Live action. Oh, is it the Nutcracker? It is the Nutcracker. Oh. Score by James Newton Howe, which I, I think I haven't yeah. listened to. <laughs> yeah. But um, okay, wow. Yeah. yeah, like the live action sort of version of the Nutcracker. Yeah, yeah. Because they could have used a lot of Tchaikovsky. Mm. I don't know that I would associate Tchaikovsky with the double grand piano chords though but uh, mm. that's fine you wrote a piano concerto dan tchaikovsky yeah, yeah, yeah okay, he knew yeah, what he was doing much. yeah which starts with opening crashing piano chords look all right you've made your point okay okay you get the idea yeah. okay uh second last one
Is this <laughs> is this very new? Um, well, you, you're relatively. I mean, it's using the newer theme, so it's it's got to be post. Well, you know, sort of two thousands. There's a pipe organ. It's sort of gothic. I'm trying to think of some kind of dark macabre yeah. scored by Denny Elfman. Mm. <laughs> well, yeah, I was thinking it's probably one of their villain reboot films. No. With the, no. Was there like an Adams Family remake or Edward Scissorhands 7? But yeah, but be, be thinking more your, your Tim Burton worlds. Yeah. Or that vibe anyway. So he did Alice in Wonderland. Mm. <laughs> Um, but also, um, what I was thinking of before was, um, you know, Angelina Jolie, Ma- Maleficent, Maleficent, Mali- what Maleficent? <laughs> yeah, that's not Tim. No, Burton. I've got it. I got it for you. You're not going to get it. Uh, Frankenweenie. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yep. Now I've got one more for you, and I've left this one for last because I actually adore this film, and I, I thought this was really fun, um, and probably one of the better ones. Dan's already got his hand up. Um, here it is. <laughs> Okay, you might have to say it together. Yeah. Can you mm-hmm. count us in, Andrew? Yeah. Okay, ready? One, two. Coco! <laughs> <laughs> he did it. He did it, folks. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. Dan, you fell for the oldest trick in the book. <laughs> yeah, you fool. <laughs> Your face was priceless. I should have taken a screenshot of that, folks. <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you know what, Nick? I, I haven't even been counting, but I'm sure I still won. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is indeed Coco. Um, mm. I love what they do with that. Not just put it into sort of the mariachi band, but... You know, change the time signature, and it's a genuine arrangement. It's really, really yeah, well it's done. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> Do we assume that's Giacchino? I yeah, maybe. Mm. I assume so. Mm. Probably. Mm. He's a very creative guy. Mm. Yeah, it would yeah. be. It's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. So I actually think that brings us to the end. Does that bring us to the end? Did Gosh. we get there? I think so. Yeah. A hundred years. Yeah. Why not? Take. Knocked it over. Can we maybe end, guys, by? I mean, what's your favourite studio logo theme? Mm. After we've been through 100 years of this stuff, and I know we've missed some, but we've surely played all the, the greatest hits. Yeah. If you had to name your favourite out of, out of like the, you know, the classics, so none of these weird rearrangements or anything that Andrew just played. Yeah, I'm, look, I'm going to have to... Oh, is it, it's not kosher to say two, is it? Um, no, you can only say one. Oh, man. Your Desert Island movie studio theme. Because I really want to have my Cayman in there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you came in and eat it too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what? I I still really like, I don't know why, it's almost certainly a nostalgia thing, but I love I love the, the James Horner Universal um, mm. mid-90s or early 90s or whatever it is. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just like it. Yeah. I think I think if I was going to be completely honest, my gut immediately went to the Jerry Goldsmith Universal, which is a very sure. straightforward answer. Um, 
but it's so good. I guess if I was going to think about it a little bit more and try and choose one that's not immediately obvious, it would be the the Steiner um, Warner Brothers. Mm. Just because, like, you got to give give the man credit for writing fifty five different endings or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that's true, isn't it? Um, and it, it it just says old Hollywood to me. Nick, Nick. how about you? Um, look, I'm going to go with um, my heart, and that's probably the Disney one. Uh, that mm. that that. That mm. recent castle logo, I think it's just, it's yeah, it has the most ah for me. Just, just I melt when I hear that, mm. and um, it brings mm. out the inner child in me. Uh, look, all the ones you said are all great, and there are many great ones, you know. Mm. Um, so that's that's probably the pick for for me. Are we all just uh, too scared uh, of uh, everybody making fun of us for every, bringing everything back to Star Wars to say the 20th Century Fox? <laughs> 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 yes, well, we were all lying. It actually, we all love the 20th Century Fox. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Far and above anything else. <laughs> I only love yeah. the 20th Century Fox one because of what happens afterwards, um, not because yeah. of the actual actual thing. The da na 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 still gets me every time, though. <laughs> Okay, okay. I think that brings us to the end of our uh, previously stated 100-year analysis of the history of movie studio logo themes. We hope you enjoyed yourself, especially if you made it this whole way. I mean, really, the the main event was the... uh was that uh, game show at the end. One for the ages. Um, And of course, if you did enjoy yourself, go ahead and press subscribe and write us a review on iTunes. Um, As always, it helps us get the word out there and more people can discover us, which we would greatly appreciate. Of course, if you have any questions or comments or, uh, you know, things that we messed up on because, you know... It happens. Um, or, of course, if you want to request a, another score from us. And, um, oh, guys, let me throw this out there. We're going to be back to our normal programming with our next episode. Maybe you can write in and guess what it is. This is this next one, I'm making the promise right here in the outro. It is essentially our most requested score. We can no longer ignore it. Mm. And it's incoming. It's exciting. Anyway, um, please hit us up on uh, social media on on Twitter uh, at Art of the Score, of course, and Instagram also at um, Art of the Score, Facebook, and on our emails, contact at artofthescore.com.au. We'd love to hear from you. But until next time, I'm Andrew Pogson, and that's Dan Golding. Thank you so much for making it as far as the podcast. It's been so much fun. (laughs) Indeed. And he's Nicholas Buck. Thanks, guys. This was a hoot. And this was Art of the Score.